Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild Card Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, February 19th, and we're talking about some of the biggest tech earnings reports of the week. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis. I'm joined by Fool.com's almost always actionable analyst of asymmetrical asset advancement, Brian Feroldi. Brian, how you doing? Dylan, happy Friday to you. Happy Friday. Yeah. I mean, that's. I think that's the attitude you got to have on a Friday, right? Heading into the weekend, you got some snow. We got what appeared to have been snow for about four minutes uh, <laughs> down in D.C. I think that's that's a nice cheery way to head into the weekend. Yes, this is the end of vacation week for us uh, in, up in Rhode Island. And by vacation week, it basically means your kids are home instead of going to school. So I am looking forward to getting back in the swing of things next week and sending them back to school. Yes, so their vacation ends and yours begins, basically. That's exactly, that's exactly <laughs> the way you could look at it, Dylan. <laughs> Um, Well, we are going to be tackling earnings on today's shows. No shortage of interesting earnings reports to dive into. Uh, A lot of companies reported over the last couple of weeks. In particular, we are going to be focusing on three companies that are favorites in the Fool community, owned by a lot of Fools, um, and and that's Palantir, Shopify, and Twilio. Brian, let's start with one that probably people are least familiar with. It's newest to the public market, and that's Palantir. Yeah, Palantir. This is a ticker symbol PLTR. We've done an S1 show on it, and we did another uh, show where we, we talked about it. This one has really caught uh, caught fire in the investment community. It's been a big-time winner uh, since coming public. And Palantir is a software company that's primarily focused on big data and big data uh, analytics. Uh, they are initially were focused on uh, governments. That's where they kind of got their foothold. Uh, more recently, they've been taking their core technology Technology, which has security built right into it. And they've been applying that and trying to take over or trying to move that technology into the private sector. Uh, the results that we've seen from this company basically prove that that strategy is working. In the fourth quarter, this company reported 40% revenue growth to $322 million. That came in about $20 million ahead of Wall Street's estimate. Uh, the rest of the income statement looked uh, pretty good too. Gross margin ticked up 1,100 basis points to 78%. Boy, is that a healthy number. Uh, the bottom line wasn't as pretty on a gap basis. We saw $157 million in a net loss. That was bigger than expected. However, that, that entire net loss was basically just accounting uh, $242 million in stock-based compensation for the quarter. You back that out, and the company was uh, solidly profitable. So the headline numbers for this company uh, in the fourth quarter look good. Yeah, and that, that loss isn't anything unexpected. And when you drop that, that stock-based compensation charge, I think it's kind of impressive for a business that is this early on. It's been around for a while, but in terms of the growth ramp this early on um, to be basically profitable. Yeah, and they have been uh, the, the last couple of quarters. They have been profitable, at least on a, on a non-gap basis. And one of the reasons I think that this company went uh, went public, or one reason that companies do go public sometimes, it's not necessarily just about the the funding. It's about raising their awareness within the business community. And Palantir, I think you can make the argument, has done just that. Uh, in the fourth quarter alone, 
They noted that they had several new contract wins with big-name companies like uh, Rio Tinto, uh, PG&E, the U.S. Army, the U.S. Air Force, the FDA, uh, the U.K.'s National Health Service. Uh, They mentioned that in the quarter, they signed 21 contracts that were worth $5 million or more and 12 contracts that were worth $10 million and more. This company is going to report lumpy revenue growth from quarter to quarter, given that these contracts do matter so much. But I think you can make the argument that their that their uh, their coming public has helped them to win win over customers. I think that's right, and you know we we talked about it when we did some of these earlier shows on the company, but much longer sales cycle than what you'll typically see in the software as a service space. Um, the easiest way to think about this business is halfway between a SaaS business and a defense contractor. If you can take the sales cycle from defense contractors and apply kind of the business model of a SaaS company, that's going to get pretty close to what you have here with Palantir. And I, I think for people that own the stock, they're probably pretty happy at this point, one, to see all those contracts coming in, because that's that's future revenue that, that's going to be flowing through to the business, but also to see so many wins wins in the commercial space because yeah. i think that that's really a huge part of the thesis for this company and it, it it's a it, to me it's a relatively easy uh, sales process to say well all these government agencies uh, trust us with their data if you care about data and security shouldn't you trust us too and they are really winning basically everywhere uh, everywhere that they go and importantly they noted that they are winning within their existing customer base uh, they don't prov- they don't report DBNR or, D- or DBN uh, uh, e but they did say that the average revenue per customer uh, was 7.9 million dollars that was up 41% over over year over year. And they reported that um, uh, their top 20 customers uh, reported about 33. Uh, the average revenue from their top 20 customers was $33 million. That was up 34% year over year. So a big thesis for this business is land and expand. And boy, are they doing just that. Yeah, and, and and the number that really stuck out to me is they, they did about 480 million in revenue from their commercial customers in 2020. That was just under half of revenue, it's about 44%. In 2020, the year-over-year growth rate was 107% from their US commercial customers. Very quickly, the story for this company, if if that continues, is going to be, hey, this is a great business commercially that also happens to have government contracts rather than what we know it to be today. And I think that's a big reason why we've seen the stock do as well as it has. It's up over, geez, I think 150% since their IPO just a few, uh, just a few months ago. And uh, the company had a couple of big announcements uh, recently that we, I think can help to uh, continue that uh, strong growth. Uh, so they announced a new partnership with IBM, where IBM will kind of resell their foundry mod- modules as part of their cloud offering. They noted in the call that IBM's sales force on this product is bigger than the entire employee base at Palantir. So that more that, that multiplies the company's sales force, just that one deal, by many, many fold. Uh, the company also announced a collaboration uh, with a law firm named Aiken, Gump, Strauss, Hare, and Feld. And they basically said that they're going to take their Palantir Foundry software and apply some unique innovation solutions that are going to be, that are meet the needs of legal professionals. So the company is making a lot of moves behind the scene that, to your point, can't, should help this company continue to win over commercial customers. And, and you know, the funny thing is, Brian, the, the, the government business is doing just fine too. You know, it's not like that part of the company is slouching at all. Um, you know, looking at their earnings slides, just over 600 million in revenue from that segment. 
just a little bit more than half and and 77% revenue growth from our government customers in in 2020. So that business is firing on all cylinders as well. It just happens to be outshot a little bit by what we're seeing on the commercial side. So I I, I kind of factor all that to be a really good first class problem to have if you're a business. Absolutely. And management came out and they gave some pretty bullish guidance that really caught investors' uh, attention. Uh, For the first quarter of 2021, they're currently forecasting revenue growth of 45%. So expect to keep that really strong. They said that they're going to add triple-digit headcount to their sales force uh, over the next year. So uh, they are making big-time investments uh, there. And they actually came out and said, we're actually providing long-term guidance. We expect to grow our revenue by 30% percent annually over the next five years, which they're on record saying we expect greater than $4 billion in revenue by 2025. I mean, that is that management team expressing some serious confidence in their business. I was going to try to do some quick back of the envelope math. And and honestly, my Excel skills weren't quite fast enough, Brian. But to contextualize that 30% annualized over four years, or over five years, if you're growing at about 26, 27% per year, that's a double in three years. They're trying to grow faster and they're trying to do it for a longer period of time. Whatever that math shakes out to, I'm sure someone's doing it as we're saying this right now. It winds up being pretty darn impressive. Yes. And if they can execute on that, it is understandable why investors have bid up the stock so much. And it's not hard to believe that this company can keep on winning. Yeah. When you combine the numbers with you know the the excellent pedigree of, of the management team, the backing, um, you know, that, that Peter Thiel and and all of the cachet that comes with that. Um, There's a lot to like with this business. Certainly is. Lots to like with this other business we're going to talk about, though, Brian, I got to say. And and there are some interesting similarities with the way that guidance is being talked about. Uh, The second company we're going to talk about is Shopify. Uh, This is, in some ways, the the company that needs no introduction uh, to our Fool community. You know, Fools know it well and have probably enjoyed some stellar returns if they've owned it. Um, This is the e-commerce platform for small, medium-sized businesses, increasingly being a provider on the the brand and enterprise side as well with some pretty big names. Um, But... I tried to think of the best way to summarize their earnings, Brian, and I came up with, wow, just wow. I think that's about as good as I can frame it. Fair enough. And you did the work here, so (laughs) prove it to me. What is this wow, just wow you're talking about, Dylan? So full year 2020 results, revenue was just under $3 billion, which was good for 86% year-over-year growth. You'd have to go back to 2016 to find a better year-over-year growth rate for the company. So just on that alone, really impressive top-line growth big acceleration. In 2019, they were looking at 47% year-over-year growth. They benefited tremendously from the pivot to e-commerce and to digital. There were already a lot of tailwinds pushing them forward. I can't say that anyone was surprised to see really gaudy growth rates and accelerations from this business, but seeing those numbers in particular, it really paints a picture. That's incredible. I mean, back in 2016, as you point out, this business was a fraction of the size that it is today. And even back then, there were still questions about who's going to win this space and what about Amazon? So to see them put up that kind of revenue growth four years later is just incredible. It is. And, you know, when you scale dramatically, there are some interesting things that can happen with your financials. And we saw that a little bit. Um, gross margins wound up taking a hit for them uh, down to about 52%. They've typically been somewhere in the mid 50s. And I think as problems go, that's a fine one to have because it was one that came because they had tremendous growth. Um, and if, if you look at some of the company specific numbers, some adjusted numbers they give, 
it does change the story a little bit, and they do appear to be enjoying operating leverage. Uh, on an adjusted basis, if you look at the adjusted numbers they're using for R&D, SG&A, marketing, and transaction losses, and these, you know, grain of salt, their costs went from about 53% of revenue in 2019 down to 39%. And the key there is you're excluding stock-based comp, payroll taxes, and some amortization of acquired intangibles. So depending on how you want to look at things, the scale is benefiting them or they're taking a little bit of a pinch on the scale that they're enjoying. Either way, though, I, I, I think it's okay for their gross margins to compress down just a little bit. That's going to be something that's going to be interesting to watch over the next couple of years because Shopify has been investing so aggressively in itself through hiring, through launching new business opportunities. That's one of the reasons that I think that I love it so much is this business has an incredible amount of optionality into it. So I'm okay with margin compression uh, on the top line. I wonder where that's going to head in the long term. And you know, Brian, despite that heavy investment, they still manage to post positive operating income. Like I think this company, particularly because of how long uh, long term oriented they are, they don't have any problem throwing cash at things that they know are going to be good long term growth drivers. In spite of that, you know they're not pulling any punches when it comes to their SG&A spend, their R&D spend. The revenue growth just was so impressive in 2020 that they were able to, for the first time, report operating income. Um, positive operating income. And between that and and some sale on investments that they had, the company logged positive full year net income for the first time, which is which is darn impressive because I don't think that's really what they're trying to do right now. No, there's no doubt about that. And when you're putting up that kind of incredible 86% year-over-year growth on the top line, you should not want this company to be focused on profitability at all. You should say, reinvest, reinvest, reinvest. And the more I read these companies' numbers, the more I just think this is the 2010s versions of exactly what happened to Amazon when it, when it came public. You are seeing just unbelievable top-line growth. You're seeing uh, margins that are kind of all over the map. But the fact that they have gotten to operating profitability this early is really exciting. It is. And and the numbers are truly staggering. I mean, we've talked about it before, but this is a business that succeeds when its customers succeed. They've intentionally built that into their billing and their approach to how they handle themselves. And the, the numbers are just bonkers for 2020. A, a new business on Shopify made their first sale every 28 seconds on average uh, in 2020, which is Simply astonishing. They wound up with 1.7 million merchants at year end. And if you're looking on kind of the higher end of their services and their offerings, Shopify Plus, which is their kind of larger brand solution, had over 3,000 merchants join, bringing their total to 10,000. Those are super valuable accounts for them. To see that kind of growth is really impressive. It's crazy to think that they're doing just that. And those numbers just prove that this company is executing brilliantly against its its long-term plan. And if there's one stock that I've owned and seen over the last couple of years that just proves how hard it is to value companies and how hard it can be to say, this company is overvalued, I'm going to either trim my position or not buy, it's Shopify. This company trades at a nosebleed valuation and continues to prove that it's undervalued. I know. Every time I've bought, every time, and prior to being a shareholder, every time I thought about buying, I looked at it and I was like, I don't know if this makes sense. And yeah, I finally took the plunge a couple of years ago. I'm glad I did. Wound up buying it a couple more times as well. Um, I think a lot of fools are probably in the same boat. The The numbers have been impressive. And, and I think what's amazing is we're seeing high growth, Brian. But if you take a step back and look at where they stack up in US retail e-commerce, it's it's wild. Um, by their own math, they came in second in US retail e-commerce in 2020, behind only Amazon. They had 9% market share, which is more than Walmart, and more than, I believe, Apple, Home Depot, 
Etsy and Wayfair combined, or about the same size. How's that for a stat? They are number two <laughs> ahead of Walmart, which is no slouch on its own. Walmart.com has been growing like crazy, and they've been throwing their tons of capital into that. So I think you are right. The takeaway is wow. Absolutely wow. Yeah. And yeah, you know, normally I am uh frankly a little loath to spend time with a long quote uh on, on the podcast. I don't know that it makes for great listening. I do think it's worthwhile here. And I'm going to pull something from Shopify's conference call. Uh, Management said, as many of you who have followed us for years know, we've always prioritized long-term value over short-term financial opportunities because we don't manage our business to achieve short-term discrete financial results. We are replacing quarterly and annual numeric ranges with information on directional indicators, the primary levers driving our financials and the assumptions that guide our planning. I think that that really says it all about the way that management works at this business, what you're getting when you're buying into this business, and what you have to expect. Um, I, I have to imagine at some point, for as staggering as it's all been, there will be some rough periods. There have to be at some point, right, Brian? It's, it's the story with every growth stock. But they are taking a 5, 10, 20-year look with everything they're doing. You talked about optionality before. There's so much of it. And if you spend any time looking at their conference call, you realize that it, for as big as they are, there are so many different places that they can grow. A quote like that just proves to me that Toby Lutke, the CEO and founder of Shopify, uh, is exactly the kind of person that I want to put uh, capital on. And given the performance that he has put up and given the growth that he has consistently do, I think that Wall Street is allowing him to operate the business like that. He has earned that credibility right. He totally has. And, and they have so many interesting markets that they're starting to dip their toes into and it all plays into the network that they're trying to build and the brand that they're trying to build. You see investments in payment solutions. You see investments in more curated marketplace options. You see investments in capital options. There are so many adjacent businesses that they are able to hop into because they've become the storefront. They've become the presence for so many players. Once you have that, layering in all these other things just makes sense and it makes you more valuable as a provider. And that's why I think that's one of the many reasons why this company is so hard to value. They have so many growth irons in the fire, and they are continually trying to open up new opportunities for them. So trying to guess what, how, what kind of scale those things are going to achieve down the road is just incredibly hard. Yeah. And that's where you can be a value investor, even if you're a growth investor. Right, Brian? <laughs> that's exactly right. Um, all right. We're going to talk about one more company, uh, and that is Twilio, ticker TWLO. Another one fools probably know pretty well. Uh, for the folks that don't, kind of the, the developer building block company. Yeah, this is a hard company to really contextualize what the, what they do. The easiest way to describe them is they're a software as a service company that provides communication tools for software developers. So if you want to build in any type of communication into an app that you are building, Twilio makes drag and drop tools that you can put in that you that enable you to send voice, video, uh, emails, uh, etc. So they are a software company that is built for developers by developers. And we've seen uh, those types of businesses can be very, very successful. You know, when, when you delight customers, particularly ones who tend to be underserved um, or maybe ignored uh, in, in the product and decision process traditionally, um, you bring something really good to them. You wind up with a really strong product. Uh, management at this company is developer first. It's a huge, huge part of the way that they look at product and they, they really kind of do everything. They really do. And this company has been growing like gangbusters since it came public. It has become a Wall Street darling. And we saw why in the fourth quarter, because 
they put up not Shopify growth, but in that in that uh, in that direction. So. In the fourth quarter, the company reported 65% revenue growth to 548 million. One thing that I did like about the, that's an impressive number uh, on its own, but management actually called out that their adjusted growth rate was 52%. They said that they had some extra revenue from political, that was uh, from uh, political uh, revenue, as well as they made an acquisition mid quarter that also bumped it up, bumped up their, um, their reported revenue growth. I really like that management was calling out, Hey, it was really, really strong, but it was slightly less awesome. Uh, that, that, that's great that they do that, but still 60. 5% revenue growth, huge, amazing to see at this stage of the game. We did see some compression on uh, on gross margins um, from, from even with that scale. So non-gap gross margin ticked down to 56%. That's about where it's been for the last couple of years. So nothing too bad there. The bottom line continues to be pretty ugly, especially on a gap basis, $179 million in gap net losses. However, on an adjusted basis, um, we saw $6.5 million in non-gap net income, or four, four, uh, four cents per share. The number that we love to look at with SaaS companies is DBNR, dollar-based net expansion rate. Twilio has always put up good numbers here, and they did so again. This number was 139% for the quarter. Really strong results all around. Super strong results. Um, that that expansion number, you know, it, it is not the primo number. We'd rather see the retention number, you know. But but if you stack that expansion rate out there in the SaaS landscape, uh, there aren't going to be too many companies that top it. That's exactly right. And uh, not only are they expanding within their existing customer base, but they are continue to add just an incredible amount of, of customers uh, in total. So last year, they ended uh, 2019 with 179,000 uh, total customers. This, they ended 2020 with 221,000 total customers. So adding on 40,000 new customers in, in, in one year just shows how much love they have amongst the development uh, community. Also important worth noting that their top 10 customers are, are, are make up about 13% of total revenue. Investors had big problems with Twilio a few years ago when a certain company named Uber was an outsized customer for them and decided to switch. That made the company's growth rates go down. So I do like that they're reporting that number and it continues to trend in the right direction. Yeah, back when it was... Uh you know, long, long before it was a stock market darling and about an eighth of the size that it currently is, Brian, um, they sold off about, I think, 40% uh, after one earnings report. And it was because there was some speculation that they were going to be losing, you know, one of their biggest customers or that there was going to be a reduction in the income uh, or the revenue coming in from one of their biggest customers being Uber. Um, it is great to see them diversified away from it, you know, Deep, deep in the six figures customer count helps with that for sure. Um, but I think also just you know having deeper relationships with the big customers that you have, making that pie get split up a couple more ways, does wonderful things for you as a business. Kind of amazing though to think about how far this company has come from being so reliant on one customer to now being so spread out. That's exactly that's exactly right. Uh, the numbers for the full year looked pretty darn good uh, too. So for 2020, we saw 55% top line growth to 1.76 billion. The full year DBN uh, expansion rate was 137%. Uh, gap net loss for the full year was ugly, as you would expect, almost a, a minus $490 million. On an adjusted basis, it was positive uh, $36 billion. 
Interesting to note, uh, this company ended the year with about $3 billion in cash, and just after the quarter ended, uh, they decided to add another $1.5 billion to that total through a common stock offering. Uh, they sold some stock at $443. Uh, I think that that's probably a good time to, to raise capital, um, but still interesting that they chose to do that when they had plenty of cash in the balance sheet. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder if they're gearing up for something. You know, uh, the, the conditions are right for it. You know, if you can go out there and, and sell capital uh, or, or sell equity in the business and, and raise some serious capital at an attractive valuation, totally makes sense to. When you start stockpiling like that, though, it does start to raise some questions, you know, if they're going to go out there and buy something. Yeah, and that would be really interesting if they did because in November, they closed on an acquisition of a company called uh, Segment, which is a quote-unquote leading customer data uh, platform that provides standardized data collection uh, toolkits and helps to unify user records, route customers' data and into any system where it's needed. Uh, the, uh, Segment reported over 20,000 customers on its own, including some big names like Intuit, uh, Fox, Instacart, and, and Levi's, and that Again, that acquisition closed uh, in the middle of December. So uh, Twilio has a history of going out and acquiring complementary businesses to drive its growth. Uh, to your point, it'll be interesting to see if they use some of that capital to do that just again. If they do, I think we're going to get continued emphasis on that organic growth rate, right? <laughs> as <laughs> long the, as they uh, break that out. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, the thing you always look for with the acquisitive businesses. Um, looking forward, what, what can folks expect from Twilio? They, Of all the companies we talked about, they are the only one, I think, that provided firm financial guidance. <laughs> yeah. For the first quarter, they basically think that their uh, revenue growth is going to remain really strong. So they're calling for uh, revenue somewhere around $530 million, which includes the uh, the inclusion of a segment. Uh, that's good for about 46% a year-over-year growth. Uh, like many high-quality companies, we see this company consistently give conservative guidance. So I think investors are reading between the lines and assuming that they're going to report another uh, quarter of, say, 15%, uh, 50% uh, revenue growth or so. Uh, the bottom line, they expect to report a non-GAAP net loss uh, from from operations of about twenty to uh, to fifteen million dollars. As we noted up, to, up top, they have plenty of cash in the balance sheet if they want to continue to invest, invest, invest. So investors really like this report. Uh, makes sense given the big growth on the top line as well as the pretty bullish guidance going forward. Yeah, there's there's so much to like with really all these businesses that we talked about. Um, I will say, you know, I, I like generally the the pacing of of management from Twilio the the way that they dive into the numbers the nuance that they provide um, and and a big turning point for me was really learning more and more about their CEO Jeff Lawson I will put in a shameless plug uh, we aired an interview that David Gardner did with uh, Twilio CEO Jeff Lawson uh, on Industry Focus. I believe it was our February 5th episode, so about two weeks ago. Um, and that was, a, that was a Motley Fool Live original, our members-only live stream, but we wound up releasing it to the public as well. So if any of this discussion piques your interest in Twilio and you want to know more, really, really interesting executive, great management philosophy. And um, you know the business is great, but it's really nice when you really, really like a management team too. Mm -hmm. he, he's another one, just like uh, Toby Luke, that uh, once you learn about him and see kind of his his ethos, he's all about the long term. He's all, he's truly about developers. He clearly loves what he's doing. And man, has he put up the results to prove uh, why his stock should continue to go up. 
Yeah. And, and that's the big thing, right, Brian? You say it all the time, like, show me you can do it and I'll believe you can do it. And, and all of these businesses um, so far, you know, Palantir a little bit earlier on in the story, but all of them so far have put up some incredible numbers. It's easy to trust management teams that do that. That's exactly right. And uh, so we've seen these three reports. Which one impressed you the most, Dylan? Oh, man. I, you know, it's hard. I'm a little biased, you know, because uh, I own Shopify and Twilio. Um, I, I will say Shopify is tough to beat with what they've put up in, with numbers. Um, I think this is a really strong report from Palantir. And, and I think some of the dynamics here um, remind me a little bit of Mercado Libre and their payments platform where it started out as one thing and kind of became another as growth just ticked up so much in their offline payments. In this case, with with Palantir, the non-government contracts really starting to stack up and the revenue there starting to add up quickly, that's going to become a big part of the pie um, pretty soon. And and that could be a thesis maker for the stock. And, And I think one where I don't own it, but it's moving higher and higher on my watch list because of that. What about you? I'm in the same boat as you. I mean, I am a shareholder of Twilio. I am a shareholder of Shopify. My bottom line on both of those ports is is excellent. But uh, like you, I think that I had lower expectations for Palantir once we kind of dug into the S1. And man, are they blowing those out of the water. It's really impressive what they've done to go from, hey, we're primarily a government company to, hey, anybody can work with us and use this. They are really winning. They are really executing. So like you, they are also climbing my watch list. As we say often, Brian, you know, there's nothing wrong with just buying them all. And uh, as it turns out, you know, we we both might be in that position uh, sometime soon. I think that, yeah, that's exactly right. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with tucking away uh, shares of all three of these companies in your portfolio. Brian, thanks so much for joining me as always. Thanks for having me, Dylan. Have a great weekend. You too. Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com, or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus. If you're looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for all his work behind the glass today, and thank you for listening. Until next time, fool on. Thank you.